ultimately all of those hard things that we do, all they're really resulting in is the ability for people from very different cultures to work together really effectively and both create opportunity and a platform for opportunity for talented people who the world doesn't yet realize are that talented. You are listening to Innovators, brought to you by Wing Venture Capital. I am your host, Zach DeWitt. Today, we are joined by Jeremy Johnson, co-founder and CEO of Indela. Indela is solving the global technical talent shortage by building distributed engineering teams with Africa's top software developers. In its first four years, Indela has hired over 1,000 developers and has become known as the best place to work in Africa, with tech campuses in Lagos, Nairobi, Kampala, and Kigali. Andela developers work as full-time engineers with companies ranging from the Fortune 500 to high-growth startups like Gusto and Cloudflare. Backed by Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, Google Ventures, and Spark Capital, Andela is powering global engineering teams while catalyzing the growth of tech ecosystems across Africa. Jeremy is a driven and talented entrepreneur who dropped out of Princeton to start his first company. I think you will greatly enjoy today's episode. So Jeremy, so excited to have you on Innovators today. Um, would love to hear a little bit about your background. So if you could start with an introduction, that'd be great. Of course, Zach. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. I've spent my life in and around the uh, technology and more specifically education technology space. So before starting Andela, I co-founded a company called 2U in 2008 that is the largest OPM or online program manager. Uh, we ended up going public in 2014, and I stepped down a couple months after that, actually, to start Andela. And it happened because I was invited out to Nairobi to give a talk. And obviously, as 2U grew, I became more involved just in the broader education technology space. And I was invited out to give a talk in Nairobi by one of our co-founders, who was at the MasterCard Foundation. And it kicked off this conversation around why there wasn't more engagement between the U.S. and African tech scenes and what could be done about it. And simultaneously... It was, you know, already in 2014, uh, becoming really clear that we were moving towards almost a talent crisis as it relates to technical skills. And so you interview, you know, a bunch of CEOs and ask them what their biggest challenges are. You're going to hear technical hiring and technical talent consistently as one of the top three. And it's only gotten more intense over the past five years. And so when you take a step back, you know, at the time, it seemed crazy to people that we would build an engineering as a service company that was focused on talent in Africa. And fast forward, and that's actually become quite obvious. So, Jeremy, um, going back to your college days, I saw you went to Princeton and you finished in three years. Um, how did you make that decision to do so? That's very impressive. Yeah, you know, finishing in three years is one way of putting it. So I still owe them a year in a thesis. And so it's, uh, it's probably a little bit less impressive through that lens. I dropped out after winning an undergraduate business plan competition. And at the time, uh, my thinking was, well, this is interesting. I'm really curious about uh, the world of education and technology. And you know what? Princeton will still probably be there next year. 
And so how big of a risk is it really? And, you know, here we are in a couple of years, it'll be 15 years later. And I don't think there's a high likelihood of, uh, of finishing up, but I learned a lot in three years. So it simplified things. Well, no, you you found a great purpose. And when did you know that you could or wanted to be an entrepreneur? You know, I was kind of a weird kid. When I was 15, my younger brothers and I played a handful of large online role-playing games. Uh, it was sort of a almost like a bonding mechanism for us as a family. And in one of them, at some point, I realized that people were exchanging like in-game currency for real life currency and there was an active trade there. And so I started actually basically buying and selling virtual currency and like inadvertently started a company and hired people without realizing what I was doing. And I think that experience probably made me feel like there were multiple ways to approach the world, that the sort of traditional path wasn't the only one and that things were a bit more malleable than one you know normally expects. But I don't think it was until college and that first company that I thought of it as my life's pursuit. Like it really, it was accidental until it wasn't. And after, you know, that first company, I knew that even though I made every mistake imaginable and we struggled for a year and a half and it was painful, I realized that I wanted to do it all over again. And having gone through something that was that difficult, that was mostly failure after failure and still was excited to do it again, made me realize that I think there's something here um, and I should probably listen to it. And I don't want to generalize, but you know, we were contemporaries in college and a lot of my friends and cousins that went to Princeton seemed to be going into investment banking and, and consulting and different forms of healthcare. Was there an entrepreneurial spirit on campus? Were you pretty unique in deciding to leave early and start a company and pursue these entrepreneurial endeavors? Yeah, it was very atypical at the time. And so when I was there in our day, which is funny to think of now, success at Princeton meant investment banking or consulting. And if that didn't work out, Teach for America would be okay. Like those are basically your your routes for an exit path that your peers would respect. And so I think it was in some ways easier because I left after junior year and was therefore able to avoid some of the like hysteria around who got jobs at, you know, Goldman or McKinsey. I probably was able to sort of dodge a bit of it, but it was very atypical at the time. I've now, you know, gone back for the past three years and done a lecture for a social entrepreneurship course on campus that is now, you know, one of three or four entrepreneurship courses that are that are taught. When I was there, there was a single course. I actually applied to try to get into it my uh, second part of my junior year. I thought there was a chance that I would end up leaving to start that company. And it was mostly for seniors. And so I didn't get in. And I, uh, when I see, you know, in the years after when I saw that professor, I still joke around that if only I'd made it into that course, I could have made something of myself. <laughs> That's amazing. So take us back, Jeremy, to the first couple months starting in Della. Um, what, what were they like? And, you know, what, what were some of the trials and tribulations you went through? In starting Andela, we had this incredible group of people come together around the concept of brilliance being evenly distributed, but opportunity, not so much. And so our founding team was comprised of 
I sort of pulled people in from two different directions. Um, one was a Nigerian entrepreneur who was a friend and mentee who I'd been giving feedback to for you know probably a year and a half on his company at that point, and who was planning to basically wind it up and do something else, and was looking for looking for advice. And then also another longtime friend of mine who was at the Mastercard Foundation who invited me out on that trip to Nairobi, and. You know, my background was in tech startups and in particular education technology, but I, I had very little exposure to Africa more broadly. And, you know, so that was totally new for me. And, and as I say that, one of the things that I'm struck by these days is oftentimes in the U.S. tech world and sort of the U.S. more broadly, people think of Africa almost like a country and don't realize that it's actually 54 incredibly diverse countries and, you know, the youngest, fastest growing continent on the planet. And I had a lot of that to learn, you know, myself uh, five and a half years ago, which, you know, now looking back, you know, I joke with our colleagues in Nigeria that I'm working on my green passport. You know, I've been back and forth so many times. The world has changed a bit. Uh, so looking at those first few months, we were initially focused on the supply side. And the question was, would you be able to find extraordinary talent that was interested in working as a distributed or working as distributed software developers for companies around the world in initially Nigeria. And so, as I mentioned, we had uh, two Nigerian co-founders, one Cameroonian, a Canadian, and then two Americans. And so it was a diverse cast of characters. And so we started off advertising in Nigeria and we ended up in the first pilot class or cohort getting, we we're looking for four people. Uh, we ended up with over 700 applicants and we looked at each other and said, that's kind of crazy. And so we decided to try it again next month. And we're expanding a bit and looking for 20 people to join. And we ended up with 2,400 applicants. And this time we used a basic psychometric test to understand aptitude. And we learned from the partner who called us wondering what was going on, that 42 of those applicants were in the top 2% aptitude and problem solving of any people on the planet. And they'd never had a job get posted with that many people that tested that well. And they were wondering, like, what's going on here? And from there, we basically just started, started leaning in in a really, really intense way. You know, fast forward, We've had 150,000 people apply to Andela over the past five years with a sub 1% acceptance rate. Jeremy, that is really impressive to hear about the first few months and, and, and fast forwarding to today and just how much um, has happened on the platform. So very, very commendable. And what is Andela today? I mean, talk a little bit more about where the company is today and, and what the product is today. Andela, to put it simply, is a global company specializing in engineering as a service. And so we help companies scale their product roadmap. We do that by providing talent as well as team management for them to be able to effectively manage high quality distributed technical team members. So it's a combination of being able to identify, then also nurture, but also deploy talent with top companies around the world that operates like full-time team members that, uh, you know, either as individuals or as teams, but working with companies like GitHub or Viacom or Cloudflare, doing that from, you know, Lagos, Nairobi, Kampala, and 
doing that, just pulling down tickets from the Jira instance of the company that we're working with. And so very like deeply integrated as a, as a model and essentially in the process, helping to prove that founding principle that brilliance is evenly distributed around the world. And how, how does it work? Is there a um, local manager on site, either in Africa or at the company that's helping manage the um, engineers that are sourced through Indela? Do engineers have an ability to be hired full time uh, and exclusively and work for some of the companies you mentioned if, they, if they're performing really well? Yeah, it's you're you're exactly right on both counts. And so uh, there is a, a country director from that country in every country. Um, it's actually the one role where we have like a requirement in the organization that it be from a given country is the country director for that country. You know, at this point, we are over 600 people in Nigeria and Kenya and rapidly scaling in the other countries we're operating in. And so it's they're pretty significant operations. And the way that it works is that the developers do work directly with companies, uh, but it's really difficult for companies to identify and then manage talent in countries they've never operated in. But it's also difficult to just manage distributed teams for a lot of companies. It's a superpower when done well. It opens up a world of possibility in terms of who you can bring on. But for a lot of companies, if you're doing it for the first time, it's kind of easy to screw up. And so we help put guardrails around it to make it much easier for companies to be able to leverage the fact that there's talents all over the world, that you can find better talent if you're willing to look outside of the 20-mile radius of your office without the downside risk of just having to make all the mistakes yourself. So there's a lot of hard things that you're doing at Indela to make this work. And this is, you know, I, I've worked with distributed uh, teams before, and this is not an easy problem. Um, so I don't want to get that, have that be lost by our listeners. But if you had to choose one thing, what would you say the hardest thing you're doing at Indela is? The hardest thing we are doing at Andela is helping people realize, it's counterintuitive, but that race, gender, and nationality have nothing to do with aptitude and ability. And it sounds silly, but ultimately all of those hard things that we do, all they're really resulting in is the ability for people from very different cultures to work together really effectively and both create opportunity and a platform for opportunity for talented people who the world doesn't yet realize are that talented. And the world needs that. Companies need that. It's a huge pain point for scaling organizations. We basically just make that simpler. And the thing that prevents it is something that is fundamental and that most humans miss. It's just that we're all human. Uh, we're all people. And even though cultures are different, in the Andela case, people all speak the same language. It's all, it's all in English. And we can work together really effectively. And in fact, our teams are stronger by being able to work together across borders. That's awesome to hear. It's so interesting. One of my closest friends um, who's South African, but went to college and business school, grad school in the US is now setting up a company in Kenya. And you know, we talk on WhatsApp uh, every other week or so. It's so interesting to hear him talk about just how talented you know everyone um, that he's hiring and working with, and it's just an incredible experience. He's obviously you know very familiar with Indela and says um, you know how how every talented engineer wants to wants to apply to Indela. So it's it's great to hear that as well. And do you have aspirations to move you know outside of Africa to South America and Southeast Asia and the Middle East and 
Um, or is the roadmap for the next couple of years to just keep going deeper and, and, and bigger in, in Africa? Yeah, the roadmap right now is very Africa focused. I mean, Africa for context, as I mentioned, 54 countries, but also 1.2 billion people and the youngest, fastest growing continent on the planet. And so we have our work cut out for us. The diversity of the continent is extraordinary, but every country you operate in is going to add logistical complexity. And so you can only grow so quickly and sort of maintain that structure. We are we're going to be Africa focused for a while, but I don't think that slows down our ability to scale. If anything, I think it speeds it up. And Jeremy, in terms of your technology um, and how you're facilitating a lot of this remote work, um, how, how is Indela using artificial intelligence to make your software, make your matching better? The key here is understanding that artificial intelligence is basically a function of how much data do you have and how much signal can you pull out from the noise to enable computers to make decisions that would otherwise involve or require people, and then ultimately make even better decisions than people would be able to. The world is still in its infancy in terms of being able to assess human talent. It sounds like the most obvious thing ever, but the best hiring managers in the world still get it wrong a third of the time. Like It is really difficult for people to assess other people when it comes to talent and potential. And so what we've done is collect a ton of data on the like thousands of data points on each individual engineer, what their skills are, what their strengths are, what their challenges are, and where they're growing. And then we're able to layer that on top of what we know about our partner companies in terms of not just their tech stack, but also what is the culture of that company, who succeeds and who doesn't and why. And as a result of that, we're able to make just better decisions and better suggestions on the engineers that would be successful than most companies would be able to on their own. And so the notion of AI is still in its early days, but it comes into how do you leverage that data to help automate those decisions and then make sure that you're also not basically using too small of a data set to just follow the data as opposed to like understanding reality. And what I mean by that is one of the one of the risks would be, you know, data can create a self-fulfilling prophecy. You need people to take a step back every once in a while and say, why does this algorithm believe this to be true? And I think we're very much in that in that stage now of refining it. And over time, my expectation is that we are going to have more data on engineers and their abilities and then how those engineers are working with companies and what's successful and what's not than anyone else in the world, which means that we're able to continue refining the data around that matching so that it becomes sort of obvious for a company when you're thinking about scaling out your engineering roadmap, scaling out your product roadmap, and you're looking for the ability to move faster, you need the best talent possible, that working with Andela is just an easy way of ensuring that your your team is going to work and that you're you're going to move forward in the way that you want to. Do you use any AI yet to help your engineers almost as an autopilot? So if they're coding, you know, you the Endela platform can help give them suggestions in their code. Or are you going um, that deep with them, or is that something you plan to do over time? We are. We use it now to analyze existing code bases, understand what are the skills that an engineer has acquired, and then just as importantly, how much have they rehearsed those skills? And so as engineers progress through the levels at Andela, 
they are acquiring new skills and rehearsing those skills over and over. And so we're keeping track of that and then using that as a way to help guide people to what the next level looks like. Fascinating. And also, um, you know, you talked about uh, some of the issues accumulating as much data. And if you're not careful, you can really, you know, have a lot of noise as opposed to a lot of quality signal um, if you're not careful in analyzing that data. Uh, what, what have been some of the challenges you face with gathering as much data uh, and trying to make sense of it all? God, where to begin? The biggest challenges are usually the ones where you start going down a path and you don't take a step back and try to understand that path. And as a result of it, you know, miss some obvious, some obvious signal that a human would have realized. And so for instance, in the early days, we were entirely focused on when we were doing talent cultivation on the technical skills of our developers, which seems kind of clear, right? Like that's your technical skills of your software developers are kind of important. But what we missed was that when people had challenges working with partners, and the partners being partner companies that uh, our developers work with around the world, so essentially our customers, the challenges were actually almost never technical. The challenges were usually soft skills. And so we went for a number of months early on longer than we otherwise would have before taking a step back and realizing that and rejiggering the structure of the program to actually focus much more on soft skills, which we call team skills, as like a foundation for then how you would build out additional technical skills. And we saw huge improvements as a result of that. And it seems kind of obvious, but it's the kind of thing that an algorithm wouldn't think about. Instead, it would try to think about what's happening with this code review. Why was it not accepted? And then how do we do a better job of training the specific skill that led to this code review being suboptimal? And that's useful, but it's not going to tell the full picture. And so, you know, the challenge is our brains process huge amounts of information that we don't realize it's processing, which allows for insight, which allows for like you to connect dots that otherwise wouldn't be as obvious. AI is only as useful and machine learning is only as useful as the data you can feed into it. And that's a, that's a limitation in this space right now. Yeah, I totally agree. That's really well said. Jeremy, have you started to see competitors pop up? And do you view your scale and all the data you're generating as a competitive moat um, to, to protect against any uh, upstart competitors uh, focused on Africa? Yeah, I hear about like an Andela for X or Y, like probably once a month at this point. And we think of that as a great thing, actually. I mean, first and foremost, I, I believe that as a startup, unless you are Google and Microsoft circa 2006 talking about like market share, like you don't really have competitors. Like as a startup, stop worrying about it and just focus on delivering value for customers if you want to be successful. And so I think of other startups as fellow travelers. And I would love, like love to see a thousand companies that spring up inspired Bandela thinking about different ways of investing in people. Like if we could kick off a wave of companies believing that you can sustainably invest in people, that is going to create a far broader impact than anything we can do on our own. And so I would think of that as a pretty significant perk. You know, when it comes to the data that we're collecting, when it comes to how we rank and evaluate engineers, long term, we're going to open source the vast majority of it because we want to see more in that space. And in doing so, 
I think you're still going to see there'll be benefits for us. Other companies will use our systems and our tools, and that will make developers that much more excited to work with us. That will make the next star hire that much more excited to join us and be part of pushing the pushing the world forward and bringing the future a little closer. And I ultimately like would rather be that kind of company uh, than one that spends their time obsessing over what their competitors are doing. Yep. No, it's, that's really important. And how do you think about moving upstream or downstream? So if you wanted to move upstream, you could do a lot of coding classes uh, for high schoolers in Africa and kind of start educating them and, and having them become really competent world-class engineers. And then moving downstream, you could help them, you know, almost with a kind of a curated LinkedIn for alumni and help them, you know, find jobs and, and kind of be a stored for their career. How do you balance those two directions? It's really hard. I mean, I think one of the hardest things for all startups is focus. And for us, it's of even more importance because there are so many obvious extensions that one could do. But as you mentioned earlier, we're doing a bunch of hard things right now. And the way that you continue building a great company, I believe, is by not adding in new hard things, but instead getting really good at the hard things that you do and that the world needs. And so I've been trying pretty hard, and it really is. It's one of the hardest parts about entrepreneurship is saying no to lots of good ideas. I've been trying really hard to maintain that focus, but people ask all the time about different kinds of extensions. And you know, over time, as we scale, I think you'll have more and more ability to do that without diluting focus. But right now, we're growing so quickly, and there's so much demand on both sides for what we do that... The real focus is just how do we make sure we keep getting better at things like finding the best developers, matching the best developers with companies, providing the best insight for those companies into how well their developers are doing. Like Those are all independently really hard problems, but we have to be world-class at each of them. What is the big vision for Indela? Fast forward uh, you know, a decade or two. So fast forward, and what I believe the world needs is essentially a data layer on top of the technical talent market that enables companies to find brilliance wherever it exists, and that enables that brilliance, enables true talent to find the best opportunities. And right now, you could be the most talented engineer in the world, and if you don't have connectivity, if you don't have a network, if you don't have the ability to prove yourself, then the world isn't going to see you yet. And to be clear, it's getting flatter rapidly. And it's happening faster in engineering than it is almost anywhere else, in part because of open source software. It is easier to connect and prove yourself, but it's still not easy. There's still human challenges that get in the way. And you can imagine a world where there are tens or hundreds of thousands of the top developers from everywhere that you wouldn't expect if you started just naming tech ecosystems who are top performers and active contributors to the best engineering firms in the world. And as a result of that, that are breaking down stereotypes and barriers that prevent people from recognizing that brilliance is evenly distributed. It is an awful lot of growth and it is a world that looks very different in terms of how talent and companies find one another, and then how that talent is managed in a way that enables like, effective distributed teams to be an easy thing to execute.
Yeah. And you said this so well that talent is evenly distributed, um, but opportunity is not. And I think that that is such a great ethos and motto for Endel's mission. And I think also in the age of transparency, where brands are featured on Instagram and, you know, there's a lot more behind the scenes shown um, that that having a mission uh, or standing for something is so important to your company's success. Right. I think it just it creates momentum and, and helps bring great people around the company, brings great customers, brings great partners. Um, so I'm sure that, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But, um, you know, I think in this, in this digital age, you know, it's really important for companies to, to, to stand for something. I couldn't agree more. We're moving towards a world where everyone has increased choice for how they want to live and what is the change they want to create in the world. I think you're seeing it more with young people. And I think it's easy to dismiss it as a fad of youth, but I don't think that's what's happening. I think that what's actually happening is it's more visible. I don't know that Instagram is necessarily what's driving it, but Instagram is driving something. Um, but I think that the data is becoming more clear what kind of impact companies are making and what those companies stand for. And when you think about how you want to live, if you have the option, of working with a great company that also is changing the world in a way that you think is for the better and would allow you to advance your career and also feel connected to what it is the company is doing and why, then why wouldn't you want to do that? Historically, you had to break that down between your work life and then volunteering. Uh, you've had to have like two sides of your personality. It's like your work life and what you actually care about. Um, but I think Andela is an example of a new wave of thinking about commerce and about like how to build companies that have missions that connect to an ethos of what what is the change that you're trying to see in the world and then how can you as an individual contributor in that company actually help bring that reality to life yeah absolutely uh, Jeremy, how can our listeners follow the progress of Indela if they want to apply, if they want to join the company, if they want to support you? A whole bunch of ways. The first is if you're looking to scale technical team, if you're looking to think a little differently about how you find the best engineers possible for your team, you should go to Andela.com and learn more. Uh, we'd love to chat with you. The next is you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on LinkedIn. Please uh, jump on and uh, you know feel free to reach out. We love hearing from folks. And I'd say in particular, if you're looking to join a company where you can both enjoy sort of the classic potential for high growth, but also have a mission that you connect to and care about, then please check it out as well. Uh, we are growing really quickly, and that means there's a lot of opportunity for smart, driven people who also care about the future of the planet, species, and uh, how we engage with each other to jump on and help contribute to that. Please give it a thought. That's great, Jeremy. And then, um, so one thing that we like to ask our entrepreneurs towards the end of the show is just a little bit about uh, what impact AI may have in our you know, broader business economy. And you're in such a unique position, um, you know, focused, being a CEO of an important company focused on employment. But do you think that AI will create more jobs than it will ultimately replace? You know, it's such a good question. Historically, every generation, there's a new technology that's come out that people have thought, oh, this is going to destroy all jobs. And it's never actually been true. And 
I do believe the fears are overstated right now, but I also think that there are reasons to believe that this is going to be different and more painful. And so the reason for that is that, yes, like cars did make horses less necessary for transportation. And that absolutely is is true. But when people moved to the cities, there were other other jobs that they were able to get that were created as a result of the advances in agriculture that meant that fewer people were necessary. I think that what we're seeing right now in some ways is an explosion of creativity that is human driven in terms of startups and small businesses and in terms of people I mean, think of how many businesses exist just on top of YouTube and Instagram, uh, where people are literally paid for what they're able to bring to their followers, uh, whether it's you know useful or not. Those are businesses, and so you build on top of technology. And I think we are we are seeing that over and over. And so I think you're going to see an explosion of different kinds of jobs that just didn't exist five years ago and that are going to be powered by these advances in technology and AI. But I also think that some of the sectors that are going to get hit hardest, like retail, uh, like manufacturing, like transportation, are just so big that it's going to be really difficult for us to retool fast enough to address it. And so I don't think that this is the end of jobs. I think that in some ways, it's going to just create an explosion of new ones. But I also think there's going to be a lot of pain involved in how rapidly that change happens. And I've got some real concerns around that. And you know, it's one of the reasons why I think universal basic income is highly likely to not just be a good idea, but a necessary thing. And you know, not to get down a political rabbit hole, but I think it's likely to end up getting supported by the right and the left because of how necessary that will become. Yeah, UBI is is fascinating. I'm trying to read and learn and talk to as many people about it as I can. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. One question we always ask at the end is, what advice do you have for new entrepreneurs who are building AI-powered businesses? Find a really specific, simple use case and do that really, really well. Like find one customer that you can delight and don't worry at the beginning about whether or not this market is giant. It's important, but ultimately it is much, much easier to start with one thing that is useful and delivering value and then expand from there than it is to start with something that is sort of valuable for a large number of people and then convince them to care. Yeah, that is really good advice. And it's really difficult advice for new entrepreneurs, right? They're so wide-eyed and excited and want to do everything for everyone. And you end up doing nothing for no one. Uh, so I'm glad I'm glad you said that in such an articulate way, Jeremy. Um, Jeremy, a- anything else that you you want to um, share with our listeners or want to talk about uh, or want to discuss? Yeah, I think it's also if we were the second piece of advice, it would be to realize what's happening right now with the move towards distributed. AI is going to play a role in this and it's going to make it easier to manage over time because it's going to make it easier to quantify the output of your team members. And so if you're starting a new company or just thinking about the next growth phase, like you've you've just raised around, look at what Stripe just did. They just made their next engineering center distributed. And so it's online. That is going to be a key strategic advantage for them as it is for companies like Automatic, the parent company of WordPress or Envision, who have been distributed from the beginning. 
and as a result of that, have had a totally unfair advantage when it comes to hiring, when it comes to the kind of talent and access talent they have relative to their size. The notion of distributed is not going away. 10 years from now, we are going to be having this conversation and we're going to be in totally different cities, but it's going to feel like we're in the same room having it. We are moving towards a world where that is going to become a reality. And at that point, the notion of everyone coming to an office is just kind of crazy. And the question is not whether it will happen, but when. And so getting ahead of that curve, super useful. And even for large companies, it's not too late. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I've, I've worked in distributed teams and it's uh, it can be done very effectively. And, and you know, you almost you're, you almost work harder when you're distributed in, in some ways. Right. Uh, so I think it's great to hear you say that as well. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much. I've greatly enjoyed this. Um, and you've been a wonderful guest and an inspiration to so many. So I was very uh, excited to, to have this conversation with you. Well, Zach, thanks so much for having me. This has been this has been great. I look forward to next time. The takeaways from today's episode are, one, Endella is helping solve a global technical talent shortage. As Jeremy says, talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. Two, Endella uses AI to efficiently match talented developers and engineers in Africa to global tech companies. And three, remote and distributed work is a mega trend that Endella is well positioned to capitalize on. Thank you for listening to Innovators. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I would greatly appreciate if you could share our podcast with one person who you think would greatly enjoy hearing about how the next wave of business leaders is using applied AI to reshape our business economy. You can reach me on Twitter at Zachary DeWitt or email me at Zach at wing.vc. 